0: It's great to see, you. that was really enthusiastic, thank you. I like it. Uh, it's good to see all of you here today. We're uh, finishing up our Colossians series this morning. It's been a short series, but I think uh, extraordinarily impactful. Um, if you remember, Paul penned the words to Colossians that we're, we've been studying in the last few weeks in response to uh, a couple of needs. They had some heresies that were trying to surface in, in that church, um, First of all, there was some Judaism making its way into the Christian faith. And what these folks were trying to do was say, uh, Jesus isn't enough. You've got to have some things added to Jesus, some rituals like circumcision or or, um, or whatever. And if you don't do these rites, that th- this isn't adequate. And they were uh, teaching that in order to please God, you had to appease God. You had to do some things, religiously speaking, to make yourself okay with God. So that was one heresy that was kind of trying to infiltrate the church. The second one was uh, more insidious, really. It was uh, promoted by this group called the Gnostics. The Gnostics, and they were into this mystery religion. They weren't even a remotely Christian, and they were basically saying uh, to the Colossians, that hey, you know, you've got to go through these secret rites and these initiations and all this stuff to be okay with God and they were just plain wrong and they were really basically teaching that in order to be okay spiritually you had to achieve some things you had to do some works and I want to tell you something today uh, Grace Point when it comes to stuff that infiltrates the Christian faith you still got to watch out for appeasing and achieving don't we that we don't think we're okay with God because we go through some rituals and rites it's all about faith in Jesus Christ. And we surely can't work our way uh, into heaven. We can't be okay with God by doing some things, and that was achieving. But instead of taking these heresies apart bit by bit, what the Apostle Paul does in the book of Colossians is he says, I want to just talk about Jesus. I wanna show you the real thing, and when you live the real life in Christ, then you're naturally gonna stand against these heresies that may come your direction. So he begins the book of Colossians talking about the supremacy of Christ. In all things, in all ways, in every area of your life, Jesus needs to reign supreme. Then he quickly goes into some very practical uh, teaching, and he, he talks about not being derailed in your faith by discouragement or, or um, such, such kinds of things, but staying rooted in, and, and grounded in, in the faith. And then he goes on to say you've got to aim your life at, at heaven. You, you have to have your hearts and your minds set towards the things of heaven. That means practically that you'll, you'll quit doing some things. You'll stop doing those things contrary uh, to the ways of Christ. You'll put them off. You won't slander. You won't have malice. You won't be an angry person and so on. And, and in addition to that, you're to become something. You're to put on some things you to put on humility you to put on love you to put on kindness and we talked about all that stuff now the the apostle paul gets to the end of this short epistle and he gets into talking very practically on realignment if you're in christ if the holy spirit dwells within you then your life's going to be realigned in how you do family relationships, how you do your work, how you do relationships in general, how you submit to authorities, and how you actually are one in authority and do that right. You're going to have just this totally realigned life. These can be viewed as rules. And that's where some make a grave mistake. Because behind the teaching I'm going to share with you this morning is some really, really deep theology. And when I use the word theology, all I mean is principles and truths that reveal God to us and godly living to us, okay? Um, I call this message Rules of Realignment. I hate that title, so don't take that title too seriously. It's really about a realigned life under the control of the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, our day-to-day life is to be drastically reoriented in Jesus Christ because Jesus just changes everything. So with this bit of background, we're gonna dive into today's message. I want you to take a trip back in time with me, okay? Let's go back to creation. In the beginning, we know that God created, he created Adam and Eve, and everything was Perfect. That means they had perfect relationship with each other. They had perfect relationship with God. In fact, we're told that in the cool of the day, God came and had conversation with them. That means they lived in a perfect environment. They were in perfect harmony with nature. Uh, they didn't need air conditioning. They didn't need heaters in the middle of wintertime because it was a perfect climate. They were naked. They felt no shame. They had a great self-concept about each other. And they were—they were, Everything was perfect. Amen? You get what I'm saying? It was perfect. And then along comes sin. They thought they were missing something. At least they were deceived into thinking they were missing something. And they disobeyed God, and sin entered into creation. And all of a sudden, everything that was once perfect, everything I just listed, was broken. It was just broken. And everything that was very good was now very very broken and relationship got broken between god and his creation and between the creation itself in fact um, if you go back to genesis chapter 3 and read verse 16 the second half of that verse uh, god says this to the woman your desire will now be for your husband and he will rule over you a casual reading of this scripture doesn't do it justice you got to dive into it a little bit. What it's saying is in the sinful condition here, the woman's desire will be for her husband. That word desire is a nasty word in the original Hebrew of the Old Testament. It means you're going to naturally, because of your sinful condition now, try to manipulate and control your husband. That's what that word desire means, okay? But he's going to treat you with harshness. He and his sinful broken condition is going to treat you as a piece of property. He's not going to love you like he's supposed to love you. All the perfection of God was broken. And then if you read on into Genesis chapter 4, we're told that sin trickled down to the kids. Cain and Abel brought a sacrifice to God. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, and he didn't accept Cain's sacrifice. Cain became very jealous because of this. And his jealousy led him to do something that's almost inconceivable to think of. He actually killed his brother Abel because of his jealousy over Abel and Abel's better sacrifice to God. And we see right away the sibling rivalry brought to this extraordinarily extreme thing. I mean, who kills her brother or sister for something like this? But that happened with Cain and and Abel. And we can see that brokenness not only affected Adam and Eve, it affected their children now in us as people, isn't it? And it wants to dominate us. And so when you read the Bible, it's almost like mind-bending. You get there, and you read chapter 1 and 2, and everything's perfect, and you've got this beautiful creation, and everything's going along well. And then sin enters into the creation, and bam, it's all broken. And in a chapter and a half, basically, Cain's killing Abel. And you're going, whoa, how quickly everything fell apart. The story of sin and its consequences, in short form, is this. It just messed up everything. It messed up vertical relationship with God. It messed up horizontal relationship between people. Our Colossians reading that we're going to get to this morning is a listing of what should take place in the regenerated, born-again, Holy Spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ. This is what a realigned life should look like once again. It's telling you, formerly you were dominated by this sin and uh, kind of thing in your life, but when you're born again in Jesus and filled with his Holy Spirit, then your life should look like this. It's kind of like a response to Genesis 3 and 4. Colossians 3 and 4 are kind of like a response to Genesis 3. 3 and 4. These list how the person filled with the power of the Holy Spirit should do family life, should submit to authority, should do relationship with one another, should work and should be one who's over those who are working. And I want to say this even before I read it. I want to give this qualification. Oftentimes the Holy Spirit does a work in us 100% contrary to our sin-dominated natures. That is why some of what we're about to read is listed there, okay? It's to kind of be illustrative to you and I that the Holy Spirit in us does a work contrary to God our sinful natures, okay? You just got to understand it. Because if you don't understand this, you're going to go, well, why did he say this? Oh, why did he say that? Why didn't he say this? Why did he say that? Okay, you follow what I'm saying? Because I think this is just illustrative of a deep theology behind it, that God does works in people 100% contrary to the sinful natures, amen? Wow, thank you. I got one amen. It's so true. And if we don't understand that, we will read scripture like I'm about to read to you and we will think, oh, this doesn't sound fair. It's not about fairness. It's about the work the Holy Spirit does in people. That's contrary to our sin-dominated you know, nature, okay? That, that, that it's just 100% contrary to, to the, the, the former life that we were living that was dominated by sin. So here we go. I'm gonna read Colossians 3, verses 18 through Colossians 4, verse 1. First of all, here it goes, right to wives. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting to the Lord, in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This should be really familiar scripture because it's totally contrary to what just took place in Genesis chapter 3 because of sin, right? Because of sin, We're told that women would desire a husband. Her natural inclination when dominated by the sinful nature would be to try to manipulate and control him. Now the Apostle Paul is saying, wives, if you're filled with the person of the Holy Spirit and he is dominating you, instead of being a manipulative person, submit. It's totally opposite, amen? Likewise, husbands, Because of of sin, your natural inclination when you were dominated by your sin nature would be to be harsh with your wife, unloving with your wife, ruling over your wife, treating her as property. Now, because the Holy Spirit is in you and you're realigned to Jesus Christ, love her, cherish her. Then he moves on to children. Just like in Genesis, it moved on to the story of children here in Colossians, we move on to children. And and the Apostle Paul says in verse 20 of uh, of Colossians 3, children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Wow, how different is that from Genesis 4, where Cain and Abel were killing each other, well, Cain killed Abel. Out of jealousy. And, And what the Apostle Paul says, now listen, children, because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead of disobedience and resentment and jealousy and sibling rivalry and and all that dominating you, be dominated by the things of God. Be obedient to God and be obedient to your parents. This will bring God glory and honor, and it will bring your parents honor. Then it goes on in Colossians 3 to talk to fathers again. Uh, Verse 21, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. See, in the sin-dominated way that you used to live, you might want your kids to be there and do some things for you and accomplish some things. No, no, treat them like they matter. Look out for their well-being. Encourage them and don't be embittering uh, uh, to them. And then we move into this whole area of work and authority and submission in that regard. Verse 22 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Now, this is not endorsing slavery as being okay, but it's telling such a one. If you find yourself in this predicament of adversity, it is not an excuse to not do right. Did you hear what I just said? Even if you work for an ungodly authority, as someone that does not have your welfare mind, that does not excuse you as a spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ from doing what you ought to do, do right in spite of that. Amen? And then it goes on and it, it says this. It kind of gets to the big principle. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. It's working for the Lord, not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for the wrongs, and there is no favoritism. So the big principle here is this, you're doing life for Jesus Christ, do it well for Christ. And then it gets to the authority, to the masters. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So no matter what your position in life, whether you're over a bunch or under a bunch, don't get too caught up with yourself because you are all ultimately under Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul says here. So our big thought here, this is the theology behind these realignment you know, scenarios is this. Jesus, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, does a work of transformation in you that is contrary to your sin nature. That's the big theology behind the examples I just shared with you. Jesus, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, does a work of transformation in you that is contrary to its sin nature. This, in short, is the theology behind these thoughts and these principles and, uh, and examples laid out about godly living. If you don't get the theology behind these realignment examples, you might resent it being said for you to do some things. For instance, the wife might think, why do I have to submit? Shouldn't he submit also? Yeah, yes he should. In fact, if you go elsewhere in the Bible, if you go over to Ephesians chapter four and five, it talks about the same kind of, uh, of transformation taking place in wives and husband in the marriage relationship. But before Paul gets into the teaching on, the, on wives submitting in, in Ephesians five, he says in Ephesians four, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So yeah, there's supposed to be mutual submission. Yeah, mm-hmm. But what's being talked about here in Colossians 3 is this. Formerly, you were dominated by the sinful nature. Now, being filled with the Holy Spirit, your life should be realigned in Jesus Christ. So therefore, wives, where you formerly would desire to try to manipulate and control your husband, now what you're supposed to do is submit to them and love on them. Amen? So it's talking to that. You've got to understand the theology. Because a husband may be, likewise, tempted to say, why do I have to love her? Why am I called to love her and she's not called to love me? You know, sometimes Pastor, she's not very loving. Because that's equally as hard as submission, by the way. But what's going on here is the Apostle Paul is talking some theology. Formerly, in your sin-dominated situation, husband would tend to treat their wives as property harshly without love. He's saying, Now, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and your life's realigned life to Jesus Christ, love her love her and he goes on and talks in the same regard to children and to other situations in fact i've put these verses into chart form for us because they're so illustrative of how jesus transforms us from the dominance of the sin nature to the dominance of the person the holy spirit living in us i just want to walk through this with you real quick because if you get all this you'll get the scripture really well so i'm going to give you the example I'm going to give you the sin-controlled situation. And then I'm going to give you the realigned situation in Jesus Christ when such a one is filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. So it begins with wives, right? Under their sin-controlled state, they're going to desire their husband, we're told. That's what Genesis 3 says. In other words, they're going to naturally try to manipulate and control. But if such a one is filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, realigned to Jesus Christ, then the word that's going to describe them is submission or submit. Because the Spirit does a work that's contrary to our sin-dominated natures. Go to the example, of husbands. When such a one is controlled by his sinful nature, he's going to be harsh with his wife, meaning unloving, treating her like property. If you don't think this is the case, look at two-thirds of the world. That's what's done right now. Women are treated as property. They have no rights at all. Right? Come on now. You can see this all over the world, right? But if you're filled with the person of the Holy Spirit and your life's been realigned in Jesus Christ, then you should love your wife. Sacrifice for her. Cherish her care about her, water her with the word, be concerned about her well-being, okay? Children is the next example. When children are under the influence of the sin nature, they're going to be disobedient. But if such a one is filled with the Holy Spirit, having their life realigned in Jesus Christ, the word that's going to describe them is obedient, They're going to be obedient. They're going to bring honor and glory to God, and they're going to bring definitely satisfaction and honor to their parents. Then the next example is fathers. If such a one is dominated by the sin nature, if the sin controls such a person, they're going to be exasperating. And I'm going to tell you what, a lot of dads today are exasperating simply to their children because they're trying to live their life through their kids. They're trying to recreate some kind of glory gone by days. They, they want the kid to do something maybe they didn't do, and they're trying, to, they're trying to re, whatever. You follow what I'm saying, right? And that's going to exasperate that kid. Instead, fathers are supposed to be encouraging. They're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit and encouraging. If such a one is filled with the Holy Spirit and realigned in Christ, they'll be encouraging. Listen, I'm going to tell you, Dad, something. Your words are powerful, amen? If you will just tell your son or your daughter that you love them, unconditionally not because they've done something not because they performed you love them just because of who they are you don't know the security that will bring you to that child amen tell them you love them use those powerful words to bring some good into their lives slaves this is likened to a worker or somebody under authority the next example If you're controlled by your sin nature, you're going to just surface serve. You're going to be surface serving all the time. I've worked a lot of jobs in my life. Shakey's Pizza Parlor. I was a busboy at the River House. I was a shop helper at FMC. I was an intern at Rosemont Engineering. I was at 3M for many years. And then I've been a pastor for uh, uh, the rest of my life, basically. You know what I've seen? By and large, people are surface servers. They work hard when the boss is looking, and the moment the boss isn't around, they're messing around or they're not working very hard. If we're filled with the person of the Holy Spirit and we have realigned lives in Jesus Christ, then guess what? We're going to have sincere serving taking place on our part. We're going to work hard whether they're watching us or not. You know why? Because we're serving Christ, not our human masters. Amen? We're going to do it because it's the right thing to do. Because we want to please our Lord, Savior. We want to hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. That's why we serve hard. We don't serve hard because we have a great boss. No, we do it because we love Jesus Christ and want to bring his name glory. And then lastly, uh, the the last example is masters, and that could be viewed as those in authority. Um, If such a one is sin-controlled, they're going to be unfair. But... The Apostle Paul says, if such a one is filled with the person of the Holy Spirit and having life realigned in Jesus, they're going to do right by their employees. They're going to treat them right. They're going to treat those who work for them right. They're going to be concerned for their well-being. See, what we're looking at here in Colossians is a realigned life in Christ uh, that's dominated by the person of the Holy Spirit. I've owned some really old vehicles in my life. Any of you relate to me on that? I remember our VW van we had in college. It was a beast. It looked just like that. Only that looks really nice compared to the one we had. Ours was red at one point. When we got it, it was a rust red, basically sickly red. It was gone, the color. the engine went out of it immediately, and I had a VW bug, so I pulled the engine out of that and bolted it into the van. Four bolts, by the way, and you change the engine out in a VW back in the day. And I sat there and actually hoisted it up and bolted it in place, which is not a good thing. That beast would not go 55 miles an hour up a hill anymore. it didn't have enough horsepower. I remember thinking, we need to be like Fred Flintstone and cut a hole in the floorboard of the van and start running like this and pushing that thing up the hill. It had a a manual stick shift in it, and it popped out of third gear all the time. So when you had it in third gear, which was most of the time when you're trying to go fast because it couldn't go in fourth gear and have enough power, you had to hold the stick shift or it would pop out. And I remember driving a lot of times, and I have to take a corner. And I couldn't take a corner and hold this shifter. So I'd say, Vicky, grab this shifter and hold it for me. I'm in a corner. So it was kind of like driving in partnership, you know what I mean? You, you participated in driving this, this van. At one point, the starter went out in the motor. That's when you turn the key, that's the little thing that turns the engine over and starts it up. We no longer had one of those. Well, we were in college. I didn't have any money. I didn't marry any money. So, here's what we did. She was behind the van. I was alongside the van with the door open, and we'd push it. And as soon as it got going fast enough, I would jump in the seat, pop the clutch in, push it into first gear, pop it out again, and she'd start up, and I'd yell, quick, get in the van, let's go. <laughs> she and, her, and I were the starter for that thing for a long time. But the thing I remember most about that old van was this. Terrible misalignment. It would you let go of the steering wheel, and it'd go whoosh, right into the ditch. Any hazarded object, it seemed like it had a magnetic control. Let's go to that. And so you would drive it, and you could not let go of the steering wheel for a moment. You couldn't relax, because if you did, you would be in the ditch. And I remember driving that thing a few times on a longer trip, which I think now was crazy. You'd get done with the trip, and I'd get out of the car, and i go, oh, oh. Ah. I just want to scream. I'm so tense right now. Because you couldn't let up for a moment or you'd crash in that crazy beast. Listen, when you don't have Jesus at the helm of your life, when you're not filled with a person of the personal Holy Spirit and your life isn't realigned like we just read about here in Colossians, you're badly misaligned. And you're living life through sheer strength oftentimes. It's your effort. It's exhausting. If you feel like if you let up for a moment, you're just going to disintegrate. That's a terrible way to do life, isn't it? See, that's life when it's dominated by the sin nature. It's an accident waiting to happen. It's a crash waiting to be experienced. And the Apostle Paul says, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, then listen, you have a realignment that takes place and no longer should you have the tendency to go to this ditch or go into that pole or telephone pole or swamp or whatever. You, you have the compass of Christ guiding you. Wives, submit instead of manipulate. Husbands, love instead of be harsh. Children, obey instead of be disobedient. Slaves, Serve, even in spite of the adversity that you find yourself in. Masters, treat your people right because you're realigned in Jesus Christ. I often get this question posed to me What's God's specific plan for my life? People are seeming like they're always wanting to figure that out, especially younger folk in college and whatnot. I think the more important issue. It is to be realigned in your life. So that you're steering, so that your life is being steered correctly by the person of the Holy Spirit to the destination that God has in mind for you, which is holy living. It's more important to be concerned about holy living, living that pleases God than having a specific plan fulfilled in your life. See, if we get on the right path, we'll get to the right destination, and God will work out the specifics along the way, amen? So oftentimes, we want the specific plan. But really, what God has said is, listen, be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit and let him transform your life and live your life right. And everything else will tend to work itself out. So what we're going to do for a few moments is talk about right alignment. And we're going to do a little bit of an examination. I want you to take each one of these things that I identify uh, to heart and ask yourself, am I doing this under the control of the person of the Holy Spirit, or if I'm honest, is sin dominating me? Is my sin nature dominating me in this area of my life? So here we go. How are you doing when it comes to marriage, if you're married? Are the words I read to you this morning from Colossians describing you husbands and wives? Are you truly concerned about your mate's well-being? Are you looking at marriage as a character builder, as an opportunity to pour your life into the life of another person? Or are you are looking at marriage as something meant there uh, to satisfy you and to fulfill your needs? Because if you're looking at it the latter way, then sin's still dominating you. And you need the person of the Holy Spirit to begin to dominate you. Because marriage is about character and about pouring out into another human being unselfishly. Amen? How about parenting? Same thing could be said there. If you have children, are you pouring into them the things of Christ? Are you talking with them early in the morning or late in the evening about the things of Jesus? Are you praying for their souls? Are they routinely being prayed for by you? Because if you're not praying for them, who is? Are you loving them unconditionally? And Whatever you're doing, don't live your dreams to them. Let them live their own lives. Amen? How about submission to authorities? Paul gives us the most extreme example of submission here possible to an adverse situation in authority, a slave working for a master. There's nothing right about slavery. If you go over to Galatians 3, we're told in um, Galatians 3, verse uh, I think it is 28, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Slave or free, male or female, we're all one in Christ. So, what I think the point Paul's making here is we have a tendency to justify ungodly behavior if we are in an adverse circumstance or under ungodly authority. We have a tendency to say that justifies then me doing something wrong. No, it does not. That's the point Paul's making here. You do right in spite of those over you. How about school or work when it comes to those situations? Are you doing that schoolwork or your job and career as unto the Lord, working to him with all your heart? Is he your guiding principle, Jesus Christ? Is everything else being slaved and subservient to the greater truth of Christ in your life, whether you be in school or at work? What's dominating what? Christ needs to dominate. How about church? How about church? Since we're all sitting here together doing a church service, the approach to church that so many take is consumeristic, serve me, I need some things. If you don't meet my needs, I'll just go down to the other church. That's being controlled by our sin nature, when we have attitude. If we were controlled by the person of the Holy Spirit, filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, he's going to say, I've given you some gifts and some talents. Serve with that. Use that. Be a, an encourager, um, be a server, be one who cares about the body of Christ, bring unity not not you know disunity. Um, the words that should describe us are contributing and serving and, and, and encouraging now that should be the description of the people of God. How about neighbors? Think about neighbors in terms of uh, of some self-examination here this morning. We're told that, uh, that in the, good, the story of the Good Samaritan that our neighbor is anybody in proximity to us that has a need. Are you aware and care about those around you? If you're filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, he'll do a work totally contrary to your sinful nature. And our sinful nature is self-serving and self-centered. And the more the person the Holy Spirit controls us, the more we'll see others around us and care about them, amen? Amen? How about finances? The Bible tells us, where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. We've got to invest in things that matter, where moth and rust doesn't destroy, because the things of this world are passing away. So how do you do with finances? You know what I find here? And I, 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 I hesitate to share this, but I'm going to share it anyway. Why not? I've shared everything else I thought of today. I find this to be almost a rule of thumb. Church people, some, not all, just a few, are masterful at finding a fault with something so they don't have to give to it. Church can fall right into that category. We can say, well, this church doesn't do this, this, and this, therefore I don't give. That's being dominated by your sin nature. I'm just going to say it like it is. When you find a perfect church, you know, like the old saying, don't go there, you'll wreck it. We can always find excuses. <laughs> Why not to? But when we start doing that, we have to be willing to ask ourselves the tough question. Is this my sin nature dominating me now, or is this the person of the Holy Spirit dominating me now? OK, we have to ask ourselves those tough questions. Our key verse for this message this morning is, is Colossians 3.23. I would like you to say it out loud with me. Would you say it, please? Whatever you do, do it as though you're doing it for Jesus. Now you practice, let's say it loud. Whatever you do, do it as though you're doing it for Jesus. You know why that's important? Because it's true. Whatever you do, you're really doing it for Jesus. These last couple months, these last two series that we've gone through have been all about intentionality. We talked first for a few weeks on what it means to live the intentional life. Now we've talked... um, through the book of Colossians and what it looks like uh, to live our life on purpose for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I want to leave you with one final instruction this morning, super important. Do your life on purpose for Jesus. When all said and done, we get done with the Intentional Life series, we get done with this Colossians series, there is a summary. Do your life on purpose for Jesus Christ. Do your life on purpose for Jesus Christ. Don't just live life. Do it on purpose for Jesus Christ. Then you're going to live a life that's worth living, and you're going to have a life worth inviting others into. Amen? If you do it on purpose for Jesus, would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for this epistle of Colossians. It's good. It's powerful. It's full of uh, of just... Gold nuggets of truth that are so transformative. And I want to pray today, Lord Jesus, that the person of the Holy Spirit, that you, Holy Spirit, would fill us so much, that you would dominate our thoughts, our actions, that we'd be led by you, that this stuff that we read about today wouldn't just be some rules we try to adhere to, they would be transformation we're actually experiencing that wives would truly honor and submit in their relationship to their husband in a way that brings you honor, Jesus, that's opposite of the sin-dominated former life, and I pray in a like manner for husbands that instead of being harsh, which is a manifestation of a sin-dominated life, they'd be so full of the Holy Spirit that they'd love their wives, that they would cherish their wives, wash them with the word, and be concerned for their well-being. And I pray for all these other scenarios, whether it be children or authorities or those under authority, Lord, that we would do all things as unto you, Lord Jesus, that we do all our work as unto you, Jesus, that in all things our primary thought would be that we're doing this for your glory, Jesus, We're doing it as as unto you. And that would just dominate our thought process and how we do our lives. I think if we do these things in this regard, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit in in us, that will be like a sweet aroma in your nostrils, a fragrance waffling up to heaven, bringing your name glory and showing to a world far gone from you what a difference maker Jesus really is. God, we love you, and we praise you today, and I just pray for the people at Grace Point. Would you do them with power from on high? Would you fill them afresh with the person of the Holy Spirit? Would you create in us a love for your ways and a love for each other and and a conviction to stand on truth and and a conviction to do right in spite of what is going on around us? And may we all be uh, emanating love and just full of the love of Christ. May that motivate our hearts, and may that be what people feel when they rub into our lives. Would you bless the people of Grace Point in a special way today, Lord, I pray. In your name, Jesus, and all God's people said,